Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Roadmap to Heaven on this Monday morning, November 21st. It is a good day to be with you and a good week to be with you. It's Thanksgiving week. We just celebrated the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, and we are getting ready for Advent all in this one week. I think there is no better thing to do right now than to begin our week in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. Through the mercy of God, may the souls of all the faithful departed rest in peace. Amen. We dedicate our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On the show today, we're going to be talking with John Martinoni. We're going to start talking about uh, questions that Protestants can't answer, and it's not, a, it's not a gotcha thing. John and I will get into that later, so just stay tuned for that. Also today, we are going to be talking about how to evangelize with uh, Father Chris Martin, who is the Vicar for Strategic Planning in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Had a great conversation with him last week on the road, and we're happy to bring that to you today. Plus, we've got some more. We've got the Daily Dose of Encouragement, the Fabulous Catechiz, and you know all the things you've come to love about Roadmap to Heaven on these Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. Well, not Saturday, just Monday through Friday mornings. Here we go. Let's go to Mike Roberts now for a check of today's weather. Today is the memorial of the presentation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The story of Mary before the birth of Christ is taken from the Proto-Evangelium of James and attributed to St. James the Minor, though the real author was likely someone else. In thanksgiving for the gift of their daughter, immaculately conceived in the womb of St. Anne when she and St. Joachim were advanced in years, they take Mary to the temple in Jerusalem when she is about three years old. This fulfills a promise Joachim and Anne had made to God when they were childless and praying for a baby. Mary's presentation is important theologically because it continues the impact of the Feasts of the Immaculate Conception and the narrative of Mary's role in the journey of Jesus coming into the world as Savior. Our Lady tells St. Bernadette, I am the Immaculate Conception. St. Maximilian Kolbe says this means that Mary is the created Immaculate Conception and the Holy Spirit the uncreated Immaculate Conception and the spouse of Mary. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. A prayer for the gift of wisdom. Great is the wisdom of the Lord. God Almighty, your wisdom includes an understanding of what is fair, what is logical, what is true, what is right, and what is lasting. It mirrors your pure intellect. I entreat you to grant me such wisdom that my labors may reflect your insight. Your wisdom expands in your creations displaying complexity and multiplicity. Your wisdom is an eternity ahead of man. May your wisdom flourish forever. Amen. 
You've heard me say it before that we always love talking with John Martinoni on a Monday. Today is no exception. John, it's good to have you with us again today. Good to be here with you, Adam. Now, in the past, we've talked about some of these topics we're going to cover in the next few weeks, but we're going to look at them in a little bit different of a way. Uh, you're going to be presenting them in ways that we can take and directly from this segment and using our conversations with our non-Catholic friends to plant those seeds regarding the truths of the Catholic faith. Uh, as we've been preparing, John, we call these questions Protestants can't answer, and not necessarily that they can't give any answer to, but the more you get to the answer, the more logically and scripturally you find yourself, well, as Cardinal Newman would say, the deeper, the deeper you go in history, you, the more Catholic you are. So, or to, to be rich in history is to cease to be Protestant. So, all of that said, I'm ready to dive in if you are. And, and today, uh, we're going to talk about the body in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 26. And the question is Is a dead body really a body? Yes, that's an excellent question. And, and people might be going, Huh? What's he talking about? Well, here's the thing, Adam. When a lot of times when I have been in conversations with Protestants, and I know this is true for other Catholics as well because I hear it from them, when you're talking about faith having no works and you go to the book of James and you say, look, I mean, it's very clear. It says, so faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. You know, James 2, verse 17 Faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. So how can you say, Mr. Baptist, Evangelical, etc., that faith alone saves you when the Bible says faith without works is dead? And what you will quite often get from the Protestant is, well, if they don't have the works, it's not really faith. And that sounds like, oh, okay... I, I get it. It's not really faith if you don't do the work. Well, but, but wait a minute. It might sound good on the surface, but a couple things. Number one, nowhere does the Bible say that, that if you don't do the works, you don't really have faith. And number two, the Bible actually tells us that faith without works really is faith. And, and it says that in James 2.26 via analogy. James 2.26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. So they're making an analogy here. The body is equivalent to faith, and spirit is equivalent to works. So the analogy is for as the body apart from the spirit is dead. You know, if your spirit leaves you, you die. Okay, the body is dead. So faith apart from works is dead. Now, what it doesn't say there, Adam, it says, for as the body apart from the spirit is not really a body, so faith apart from works is not really faith. It does not say that. And so the question I ask is the one we started off with, is a dead body really a body? You ask a Protestant that question when they say, well, if faith doesn't have works accompanying it, it's not really faith. You don't really have faith. You say, well, is a dead body really a body? And they'll look at you kind of funny, and you say, well, all the bodies down at the morgue, are they real bodies or not? And they'll say, well, yes, of course they are. Then you take them to James 2.26, and you make the analogy for them. It says, well, if it's still a real body without the Spirit, then faith apart from works 
for this analogy to hold is really faith. So what they're saying in James 2.26, the body without the spirit is dead physically, so faith without works is dead spiritually. So the whole notion of salvation by faith alone, it simply does not fly here in the Scripture. In fact, the Scripture, particularly in this chapter of James, in James 2.26, says the exact opposite, that faith alone is dead faith. And you got them. I think of the late songwriter Rich Mullins who put it this way, it's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. Faith without works. It's just not happening. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, John, I think you, you, you've clearly illustrated that for us today. So that's a great question. Is a dead body really a body? Yes. but And that's apart from the Spirit. So faith apart from works is still faith, but it's spiritually dead. So it's been enlightening for us today, John. It's been my pleasure, Adam. Prayer to the Blessed Virgin. O oh Mary, you desire so much to see Jesus loved. If you love me, this is the favor which I ask of you, to obtain for me a great personal love of Jesus Christ. You obtain from your Son whatever you please. Pray then for me that I may never lose the grace of God, and that I may increase in holiness and perfection from day to day. By that grief which you severed on Calvary, when you beheld Jesus expire on the cross, Obtain for me a happy death, that by loving Jesus and you, my mother, on earth I may receive the reward of loving and blessing you eternally in heaven. Our catequist question today is a true or false question. True or false? Modesty is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The answer is true. And what are the, well, there? how many of them are there? There are 12. And what are the other 11? Well, the fruits of the Holy Spirit are charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long uh, long anatomy, or long-suffering, gentleness, faith, modesty, self-control, and chastity. I need to learn to pronounce some of these this morning. And it's a beautiful thing. When we use those gifts of the Spirit, when we live a life of prayer, we get to enjoy those fruits of the Spirit, which help us, again, to live that life of holiness. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I find it to be very cyclical. When I can get the basic things right, then these other things fall into place. And it's not because of anything I did. It's all because of God's grace. I'm not the one. They're, note how they're called the fruits of the Spirit, not the fruits of Adam Wright, you know. But go to confession regularly. Pray that rosary daily. Go to Mass, not just weekly, but as often as possible. Pray, pray, pray each and every day. Spend that time in mental prayer. Spend that time communing with our Lord. Spend that time doing service, whether that's service in the home, service in the community, service in the church, all of the above. When I do those things, you know, through God's grace, then I am able to be more charitable. I'm definitely able to be more joyful. I'm more peaceful. I'm more patient with my children and with those around me. I end up being kinder. There's a lot of goodness in life and so on and so forth. You get the idea. There is a lot um, of truth in this, of course, because it comes to us from Holy Mother Church. So we are going to take a jump ahead in the show here and um, go on to a break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Father Chris Martin. The B1 Prayer. Eternal Father, at the Last Supper, your son prayed that all who bear his name might be one. 
send the Holy Spirit upon us to make us one in Christ. Strengthen our faith in you. Lead us to love one another. Unite our service to our brothers and sisters and join us together as we build your church in our midst. Take away divisions that hinder our unity in Christ so we may, with one mind and voice, as members of one body, praise and glorify you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. We are happy to be on the road talking with Father Chris Martin, the Vicar for Strategic Planning for the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Father Martin, thanks for having us at your office today. Well, thanks for coming back. It's always great to have you here. Always happy to contribute and have a good conversation. Speaking of conversations, the most recent one that you and I had was at one of our Sarah Club luncheons here in St. Louis. You gave a fantastic talk on evangelization. And for those listeners outside of the St. Louis area, you may have heard that right now we're going through a whole process of discernment about the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, dare I say 70 years of evangelization in the Archdiocese of St. Louis and how we can be effective evangelizers. And thankfully, that weight's on your shoulders, Father, <laughs> not on mine. But one of the things that really struck me as you were discussing this whole idea of evangelization, and I think we'll kind of come to this today, or the need for evangelization, that so often we think of stewardship maybe as the important thing, but one quote you said was that stewardship without evangelization is hollow, and evangelization without stewardship fails because you run out of resources. And we've been focused a lot on stewardship, but let's focus now on evangelization. That's what we're here to talk about on Roadmap to Heaven. So quote number two that I absolutely <laughs> loved. You quoted a priest who asked, when did we become keepers of the aquarium versus fishers of men? And Father, that hit me because at first I was like, oh, yeah, that applies to our parishes. And then I said, oh, wait, that applies to my family because I'm really good at kids. We've got to get to Sunday Mass. Kids, we've got to do our nightly prayers. Kids, your mother and I want you to go to Catholic school can't remember the last time we said, kids, let's talk about the faith with your friends or the parents on your kids' soccer team, which is something you and I talked about last time I was here. Yeah, I think it's something, obviously, that has resounded with me, myself, even as a, as a parish priest, as a pastor, where I would ask myself, how much time am I actually spending just trying to manage, quote-unquote, the, the Catholic parish versus actually evangelizing souls? How many people are actually being won over to the person of Jesus Christ? How much of my time and energy is dedicated to that versus, again, just making sure that the parking lot, the bake sale, the fish fry, all these, they're good things, you know, that we have under the stewardship of the parish are maintained, but are we growing people's faith in the person of Jesus Christ? Are we intentional about welcoming the stranger, about being able to articulate the exact why and who of what we are about? And yeah, I think it's a question we can all ask ourselves is, am I maintaining an aquarium or am I going out fishing for men? And I think something that makes me uncomfortable when I'm really honest and sincere about that because it demands something of us. And so I think, you know, the other conversation we were having was about that balance between, I think as a parish, the pastoral care of the faithful. So how do we make sure that we provide the sacraments to people? How do we help with the intellectual formation for people that want to grow deeper in their knowledge of the Catholic faith? How do we train people, equip people to be able to go out? And how do we balance, again, that pastoral care with also the evangelization of those that aren't sitting in the pews yet. 
And it's not an either or, it's a both and. And I don't know if we've really found a great balance between those two, but that's part of the discernment process that I think we need to re-engage in as a Catholic people. Because it used to be just the presumption if we set up shop and open the doors, people would show up because they were looking for the pastoral care. Now we have a generation that doesn't even know that the pastoral care that their soul needs, and we need to go out and invite them to it. It's one of those things that, for me, the question is, well, who do I go to? It's very easy to identify maybe the, the parents in my peer group. We talked about the sports teams last time we were together. And if only we knew when people would be gathered together right for evangelization. <laughs> if only there was a schedule of some sort. For, you know. <laughs> but something that, that sticks out to me, I was actually talking with one of my neighbors right there in the neighborhood. We ran into each other, and he's Catholic, so we started talking about this. And, and he made the comment, you know, I've been pouring through all this data they've given us for our area, and it seems to me that right across the street, just right over there, that is ripe for evangelization. There are a bunch of young adults that are moving into that area. They're single, they're married, they don't have kids, and they're moving in there, and that's where we need to go evangelize. And I said, great, who are they? And, and that comes to another, uh, another thing we've talked about. And actually, when you quoted this gentleman, I said, oh, wait, we've had <laughs> yeah. him on the show. You quoted Eni Hickman, I did. the open porch guy, whose kid said, Dad, can we get to know our neighbors? And wait, what? Well, our teacher said, Jesus said we have to love our neighbor, and, and I don't know who our neighbors are. And, right, if I'm and going to love them, I should know is. them. Right, exactly. No, I think something that happened, again, in one of my past parish experiences was somebody saying, well, Father, look, we have people that are moving into the neighborhood. We have people that are on our street. What are you doing to invite them? And I said, listen, if you point them out, I will go ring the doorbell. I will. I, I will do that. But they're your neighbor. So what are you doing to invite them in, like, how have you shared why your faith is important or why you think it would be important for them to come to this parish? And again, as you would imagine, there was just that awkward silence of, oh, well, I didn't think that was my job. That's your job as the priest to be the one wandering the neighborhoods. And like I said, I'd be happy to do it. But I think there's also something about recognizing that evangelization starts with just getting to know people, to actually introduce yourself, to enter into authentic relationship with them. And when they realize that you're just interested in knowing, loving, and supporting them, then their hearts will be open to the deeper invitation. So again, I threw out one of my ideas at the parish. I said, I will buy 10,000 hot dogs. I don't care. I will do it. And I want all of you on some random Saturday, we're just going to host hot dog block parties. And when people say like, why are you doing this? You just say, because our pastor said we need to get to know our neighbors. And so we bought 10,000 hot dogs and here we go. Nothing against donning my black slacks, white Oxford shirt, and black necktie and name badge and going door to door. I think I'd be much more well-received if I just said, hey, everybody, come over here and, and have a hot dog on us. You know, I really think, and not to minimize great efforts and all these other things that we do as a church, but I think hot dogs, a keg of beer, and a kickball could do a lot of evangelization good in the world, but it takes intentionality. And it takes being ready to engage people. So as we're sitting there watching the kids play sports or as we're sitting there putting mustard on a hot dog or something that, am I ready to ask the question, not even about do you believe in Jesus Christ, but really just to ask the question, tell me your story. Tell me who you are. Tell me what makes you tick. What do you 
wake up dreaming about or worrying about in the day. And those authentic and real conversations are what lead to authentic, real relationships that leads to authentic and real conversions. I would imagine that there is a higher success rate in evangelization with the question, how are you, versus the statement, you need to go to church. Exactly. One of the other things that comes out of my mouth frequently is that evangelization is an invitation, it's not an argument, that we should be able to give a defense of our faith. We should be able to explain it to people that have authentic questions and are inquiring about things. But it's always out of the posture of, I'm inviting you to come to know somebody and to experience something that has been a gift to me, not out of the posture of, let me explain to you why I am right and you are wrong. Yeah. Now, I think of the upcoming season as, honestly, when it's we talk about invitation, we are going to be having opportunities left and right. Because who doesn't love good Christmas music? And Advent's coming up. It's not here yet, but it's coming up, and there will be services of lessons and carols or concerts, whether it's down at the theater or the symphony hall or wherever it may be, in a lot of churches, to say, hey, neighbor, you should come by the church. We're going to have this concert. And you you love music? Come on by. This will be gorgeous. This will be beautiful. And that might be the invitation that gets them to step foot into church and strike up that conversation about faith. I'd even take it one step further and say, we would love you to come sit with us, or we would love to grab dinner with you beforehand to actually say, it's the community. The event is the excuse to build the community and to build the relationship. One of my parishes, we sent out flyers to every mailing address in our boundaries, inviting them to all of our upcoming events. Not a single person do I think walked into our doors because they were holding the flyer. But we did have some people walk in the doors because they were invited by their neighbor to come and be with them. And that neighbor made sure that they showed up as well and that they invited that person and were that that point of contact. And so it's both and. So it's both as a community of faith, are we providing opportunities, events, spaces that are non-threatening, quote-unquote, for people to kind of come and to experience what the church has to offer? But is that being complemented by the personal invitation to enter into a relationship with people as well? One of the other things I wonder this time of year, and I think of a, uh, a nearby parish that has this beautiful ministry, the St. Monica Club, where they are parents gathering, specifically mothers, I believe, gathering to pray for their children who have left the church, those that they say, we wish they would come back. And that is the sole focus, is prayer. It's not, all right, now let's go pound on their doors and say, come back. But I wonder, we often get tempted to say, you know, you really should come to Christmas Mass with me. That, that conversation, I'm sure, is going to happen a lot in the next month and a half here. I wonder what the difference might be instead of that in saying, I'm going to Mass on Christmas. Is there anything going on in your life that I could offer my prayers for you that day? That that could also be the way to open the door. Both and. Yeah, I mean, that's there is no one-size-fits-all mode of evangelization because— Truth is received according to the mode of the receiver. And so for some people, boy, you hand them writing of Thomas Aquinas and their intellectual brain lights up and they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I've never received truth in this way. You hand that same thing to somebody else and they say, I've never read anything more boring in my life that is irrelevant and has nothing to do with my current state of life. You know, And so to your point, yeah, I mean, I think both the personal invitation to come and join, and then the other part that you said of, is there anything I can just pray for you, just shows 
I'm just concerned. Like I just, I want to be able to let you know that I care for you. And the invitation that I extend is born out of that, not out of any sort of, again, let me show you how to really live your life the right way because you're living it the wrong way. If I may, I'd like to wrap up with this because one of the things that I know you've talked about is you you get a lot of phone calls and a lot of emails, I'm sure, of people saying, well, you know, Father, if we just did it this way or Father, if we just did it the complete opposite of that way, all of our problems would be solved. And at the heart of all of this, while we're meeting people where they're at, I think the saying I've heard is we go in through their door, but we lead them out. Jesus a store. Hmm. You know, that that's the Ignatian way of getting to the heart. In through the door that they've opened for us, but out through the door that the Lord goes through. As we talk about all of this, yeah, meeting people where they're at is important, but that doesn't mean that we have to abandon who we are and water ourselves down. And I think sometimes that's a misconception that to to evangelize, some people say, well, we just have to walk away from everything. No, that, that, that's not what we mean, is it? No, I think that we are authentic to who we are. Jesus... Jesus always knew who he was when he encountered people. He just was never intimidated by the level of dysfunction he was encountering in them. But, but never did he say, oh, I want to just let you know that I love you and you can stay in your dysfunction or, you know, that you can stay in your sin. It was always, I want you to respond to love, to come to something greater than that you currently know and that you're currently experiencing so you can come to know the fullness of life and the and the fullness of what your heart is searching for. So absolutely, so that there's no, we don't water down who we are. We don't need to make accommodations in truth to be able to encounter people. But we also realize that as we encounter people that are the smoldering wick or the bruised reed, we're not there to squelch them or to break them. We're there to restore them through the encounter with Jesus Christ. And he is already at work in their life before any of us ever arrive. And so we have that our own humility of realizing, even if I fall flat on my face in this encounter with this person, or if it's the best thing ever, it has begun with and will be sustained by the Lord, who loves them more perfectly than I ever can. And I think you just hit the nail on the head, to use a cliche, because at the end of this, we are not the ones that bring them back to our Lord. We're just the tool he may use to bring them back to himself. Despite ourselves, more, more often than not. <laughs> Could I ask you to close us out with a prayer for evangelization? Sure. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, uh, we just give you thanks that you love us so much that you sent your Son, Jesus, the Word made flesh into our midst, who has shared the good news of your unconditional love for us. And we just ask you to continue to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, your sons and daughters, that we would first be evangelized by your Son so we could go out and evangelize others and invite them into the fullness of life that he provides. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father Chris Martin, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Always a pleasure. Prayer of St. Clair of Assisi. God of mercy, you inspired St. Clair with a love of poverty. By the help of her prayers, may we follow Christ in poverty of spirit and come to the joyful vision of your glory in the kingdom of heaven. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. 
We are always grateful that Patty Schneier is with us for the Daily Dose of Encouragement. And as we begin a new week, Patty, I have to ask, what do you have in store for us this week? Well, we're going to talk about gratitude. I mean, it's the topic of the week with Thanksgiving approaching. And I thought, no, we need to talk about the spiritual virtue of gratitude. So when I thought about gratitude, the first thing that came to my mind was, is that gratitude is the remedy for complaining and disappointment. So, of course, I love the verse from Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 5.16 that says, give thanks in all circumstances. So I had to think about just my own parenting. You know, when your kids or your grandchildren are complaining, we need to nip it in the bud. Nip it in the bud right away and help them to see what they should be grateful for. So maybe whenever something does not go their way, we got to teach them to turn to gratitude. Prepare them for gratitude. Plan for gratitude. Here's an example. I will never forget when my son was trying out for soccer, high school soccer, that freshman year trying out for soccer, and he was a good soccer player. But I kind of had a feeling that last day, final cuts, you know, could go either way. Was it going to make the team or not? And what I did was I told him, I said, if you get cut, I want you to go to the coach. I want you to shake his hand, and I want you to thank him for a great week that you've had meeting new friends and thank him for the opportunity to try out. And if you feel sorry for yourself afterwards, I want you to thank God that you have two legs that can run and walk and thank God for all the other sports that you can try out for. When we're on vacation and the flight gets delayed and or maybe it's going to get canceled, I would always prepare my kids. If this happens, if the weather's horrible, if we don't get to do something we want to do, we're going to stop and we're going to say, what are we thankful for? When a loved one has died, again, what are we grateful for? The time that we've gotten to spend with this person, for the relationship that we've shared, for the faith and joy that will be ours for all eternity. There's always, always, always something that you can help your child see with gratitude in all circumstances. So take those concrete examples, any complaining, any disappointment, turn to gratitude. I love St. Paul. In all circumstances, give thanks. He didn't say in all the easy circumstances or all the great circumstances or all the good circumstances. He said in all circumstances, give thanks. Patty, I have a feeling this is going to be one of those weeks that I'm just not going to get enough of here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. Don't worry about writing this down. It'll be on the podcast. But if you take a half cup of all-purpose flour and a cup of granulated sugar, mix the two together, and then add one stick melted, uh, one stick of butter melted into that and combine. Then you add two lightly beaten eggs, three-quarters of a cup of semi-sweet chocolate chips, three-quarters of a cup of chopped pecans, and one teaspoon of vanilla. Put that into a nine-inch pie tin with pie crust, whether it's pre-made or whether you make your own. Bake it at 325 for 45 minutes or until a toothpick comes out clean. You'll have one of my favorite pies for Thanksgiving and for Kentucky Derby Day because it is derby pie after all. It tastes like pecan pie and chocolate chip cookie combined. But if you go to the Roadmap to Heaven podcast, because you're saying, wait a minute, I missed all that. I didn't get to write it down. You'll find it there. And it's just a little carrot for you to go check out the Roadmap to Heaven podcast where you can listen to today's shows, uh, today's show or other Roadmap to Heaven shows that we have played in the past. And so, you know, that's that's the beauty of the podcast. Coming up this week, we are going to be continuing to talk about Thanksgiving. It's going to be a, uh, a wonderful week. We're also going to have on Friday our traditional Thanksgiving week roadmap roundup. It's always a special occasion uh, where we bring you some 
guests that we don't normally get to have on the Roundup. This week, we have three wonderful women who work in leadership of the Archdiocese of St. Louis, uh, Chancellor Nancy Warner, Director of Racial Harmony Joyce Jones, and St. Louis Review reporter Laura Costa. We taped this last week. I have to tell you, it's just absolutely delightful. We're going to hear about some family traditions and some thoughts also on the Advent season. And, um, you know, again, thank goodness for the podcast, because maybe you're putting up the Christmas lights Friday morning, if you're like me, because uh, we light them up during Advent to get ready for Christmas. Uh, maybe you're still watching football. Maybe you're sleeping in because you ate so much on Thanksgiving, but it's all out there, and it's something that you're going to want to put on your radar screen. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady Queen of all saints, pray for us. Saint Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, don't forget one of the things we've talked about in the weeks leading up to this. With every roll you bake, every dish of stuffing you make, everything you do this week to prepare for Thanksgiving, pray for someone, whether it's your guests, your friends, your family, those who have no one to pray for them, pray as you work. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Roadmap to Heaven. Don't forget to pray your rosary today.